Welcome back to the QNS Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, each Monday we take a look back at a week's worth of news in the great borough of Queens. I'm your host, Jacob Kay. And I'm Angelica Acevedo. Today on the show, an update on the proposed Glendale homeless shelter. The Ridgewood Tenants Union protests a luxury apartment tower. A Queens parent fights for playgrounds and the 10th annual Hispanic and Latinx Leadership Awards. Let's burrow in. We begin with a follow-up from last week's homeless shelter debate in Glendale. After the public comment hearing, Community Board 5 held a vote on Wednesday, October 16th over the proposed homeless shelter in the district. The board voted unanimously to recommend that the city look for an alternative plan to provide shelter for the homeless community. The plan involves smaller shelter sites, ones that would house about 20 to 25 residents each. The proposed plan, which was initially pitched to be built at 7816 Cooper Avenue, posed several problems, the board said. These problems included zoning, traffic, transportation options, and the sewage system. Here's one member summing up the board's recommendation after the vote. While community members of community board, while members of community board five, along with residents of, of our district, are very concerned about the homeless crisis, we believe there are other locations within CB5 which are smaller in size and will seamlessly fit to create a shelter residence for those in need who come from Board 5. It would be much more appropriate and reasonable for homeless shelter residents in low-density communities to house a maximum of 25, 20 to 25 people. West Hebb's strength is known to be providing housing for homeless in smaller settings. The entrance and exit of this site is located on a heavily trafficked Cooper Avenue, which is a truck route this is not a safe location for that many pedestrians. There isn't any direct bus service to the site, and the nearest train station is more than a mile away. The sewers in the immediate area are overtaxed already. Adding 200 homeless men plus staff as proposed will put more pressure on an already overtaxed sewer system. But the real tension of the meeting sprung from the previous week's public comment hearing, during which residents railed against the homeless population. In one case, a woman from Astoria voiced her wish that someone would burn down the proposed shelter. After this week's meeting, one resident spoke out against the type of speech expressed by the group. The truth is that what you did, you led a lynch mob, and it was anti-queer, anti-black, it was racist, it was disgusting, it was anti-elder, it was anti-veteran, it was anti-compassion, it was inhumane. Also after that public comment meeting, Board 5 chairperson Vincent Arcuri accused some of the members in the audience, particularly the pro-shelter folks, of being plantees who were placed in the meeting just to cause chaos. Before Wednesday's vote, Raquel Namuche, a member of the Ridgewood Tenants Union, called out Akiri for his comments. Many of you think that we're not from this community. Kathy Massey, where's Kathy? From CB5, Vinny, Akiri, hi Kathy. Vinny Akiri from CB5, Gary Yordano from CB5, all very much know that we are not planted rabble-rousers. In fact, we have been extremely respectful to you all since the inception of this group. You all are very much, you all very much know that the Ridgewood Tenants Union has existed since 2014. And instead of commending the group of residents for wanting, us group of residents for wanting to be a part of the solution, you paint us as outsiders. The board's motion to try and find alternative sites is something Councilman Robert Holden has been trying to do for about a year. Holden has long claimed that the Department of Homeless Services has ignored his alternative site recommendations. 
When QNS reached out and asked him to specify where the alternative sites would be, Holden questioned why he would reveal such information. The Department of Homeless Services, however, says that all of Holden's proposed sites are unrealistic. No concrete alternative sites were proposed alongside Community Board 5's vote last Wednesday. The Ridgewood Tenants Union organized a rally on Monday, October 14th in front of Food Bazaar Supermarket, right where Avery Hall Investments, a developer, is planning to build a luxury apartment tower. No, no to luxury colonization. Yes, yes to homes for all. According to our rep from Councilman Antonio Reynoso's office, Avery Hall Investments is going ahead with the as-of-right luxury project. The 24-story tower will be built right on top of the community supermarket. As-of-right means that the luxury tower developers don't have to go through the traditional land review process. The RTU, a grassroots housing group based in Ridgewood, linked New York City's rise in homelessness with the development of luxury apartments instead of affordable housing. Assemblyman Mike Miller joined the rally and agreed that the luxury apartment building doesn't belong in what he calls a working-class neighborhood. My constituents need to buy affordable groceries for their families. They don't need luxury apartments. Raquel Namuche, who was also at the Glendale Homeless Shelter meeting, is the lead organizer for the RTU and brought the two issues together in her speech at the rally. Again, in a time where homelessness is rising every day and more of our neighbors are losing their homes, are being displaced due to luxury developments like the one that's going to be placed behind us. RTU thinks Holden should also be removed from city council committees like the Technology Committee, the Committee on Mental Health, Disabilities and Addiction, and the Committee on Criminal Justice, since they say all of those committees have a role in helping the homeless. The RTU wrote a formal letter to City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, urging him to begin a disciplinary action against Holden. They say Holden has violated ethics rules by spreading hate and fear-mongering against people who are currently experiencing homelessness. Holden declined to comment on RTU's letter. Another cyclist was killed in Queens this week. Bogdan Darmetko, a 65-year-old man from Corona, was biking down Cross Bay Boulevard when he was struck and killed by an SUV driver on October 13th. Darmetko is the 25th cyclist to die in the city this year. Just days after he was struck, 66-year-old Ada Martinez was pronounced dead after she had been struck by a driver a month earlier. She died of complications related to the trauma she received in the crash. In response to the tragedy, elected officials like City Councilman Eric Ulrich are calling on the Department of Transportation to install protected bike lanes along the dangerous street. Last December, Wai Ching Chen was killed by the driver of a Ford Escape while she was in a crosswalk at 159th Avenue and Cross Bay Boulevard. Since January 2016, there have been 273 crashes along Cross Bay Boulevard. In a statement, the Department of Transportation said they're considering fast-tracking better bicycle infrastructure, but a specific timeline was not given. Last week, a Little Neck parent accused the Department of Education of breaking a promise to keep a new public school playground open during the summer and during the weekends. I am. I, I think it was just all a publicity or a lie. I don't even know what to say. That's Adriana Aviles, a mother to a public school student at PS221. She claims that the DOE promised that the public could access the school's playground during off hours under former Mayor Michael Bloomberg's Plan NYC Schoolyards to Playgrounds initiative. The hope of the plan was to have every New Yorker live within a 10-minute walk of a park or a playground. But now... The DOE says the park will close at 5.30 during the week, that's when the after-school program ends, and will be shuttered up during the weekends and the summer. The issue here is the money. 
according to the Trust for Public Land. That's the group that works to upgrade school playgrounds. The DOE lacks funding to pay staff members who would supervise the space when school is not in session. Aviles, who points out that other schools in the area keep their playgrounds open on weekends, started a petition at an October 7th Community Board 11 meeting. Five days later, she says, the petition has over 200 signatures. On the last day of this year's National Hispanic Heritage Month, Councilman Jimmy Van Bramer hosted the 10th Annual Hispanic and Latinx Leadership Awards at the Talia Spanish Theater in Sunnyside. Western Queens is an amazing place. Uh, we love these neighborhoods that we call home for a reason. Uh, and part of that, I believe, is because of our diversity, because we are so rich in so many cultures and nationalities and races, uh, people of different sexual orientations and gender identities, all coming together uh, to make uh, one community. The intimate event, which took place on Tuesday, October 15th, recognized six Queens-based Hispanic and Latinx community leaders. Those who received the award represented leaders in community organizing, organized labor, social justice, public education, distance running, filmmaking, and local business improvement. The following people won the leadership award. Benny Castro, Kevin Montalvo, Maritza Silva Farrell, Marta Sanchez, Memo Salazar, and Rosalie Quinones. Felicidades! Halloween is approaching, and we've got some spooky things for you to do. Skip the kit and learn how to apply creepy makeup to give you that classic Halloween look at QED Astoria on Monday, October 21st. The event, hosted by Stephanie Cox-Williams, will begin at 6.30 p.m. and admission is $30. The Queens County Farm Museum is hosting a haunted farmhouse on Saturday, October 26th from 1 to 7 p.m. The event is recommended for kids ages 6 to 12 and tickets are $7. Lastly, Flushing is home to some of the oldest and spookiest buildings in the United States. And this weekend, you can join a two-hour walking tour that will take you to the flushing places where the bodies are buried. The tour begins at the Quaker Meeting House at 3 p.m. Tickets are $25. That's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. For all these stories and more, head over to QNS.com. This show was written by Jacob K. and me, produced and edited by Jacob K. Our reporters include Max Parrott, Jenna Beckall, Carlota Mohammed, Bill Perry, Emily Davenport, and me. Zach Goelb is our editor. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is brought to you by Schneps Media. Until next week. <laughs>